we're going to talk this morning about a king like no other. And uh, many times we see Jesus during this time as a little baby. We see him in a manger. We see him being born in a stable. Uh, actually, it's probably more like a cave. Most of the uh, stables back then were done in a cave, so that makes it seem even more dreary that he wasn't born just in a stable. It was probably inside of a cave where they kept the animals. And so um, didn't look much like a king, did it? And this is why his own people, the Bible tells us that his own people received him not. And it was because Jesus didn't look like the king that they were looking for. But I'm here today to proclaim to you today that the little baby in a manger, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Okay. All right. Uh, I'm a little excited. You can try to get there with me, all right? I said, because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Oh, I can tell I'm going to have to drag you with me. Amen? All right. A king like no other. Jesus is a king like no other. Now, again, he didn't look like anything that what the Jews thought he was going to look like. Uh, let's put the scripture up there. First Timothy 6.15. And, uh, and this is what Paul said to Timothy. He said, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed and the only potentate. Now, where else have you ever heard the word potentate? Only talking about kings, only talking about royalty, all right? So he is the, who is blessed and the only potentate, the king of kings and the lord of lords, all right? Um, he is the supreme authority over all the kingdoms in this world. Can I tell you? That Jesus sits on a throne, and that throne does not sit in the White House. That throne does not sit down at City Hall. That throne does not sit in the governor's mansion. That throne sits in heaven. He is in control. The only reason I have any hope in anything going on today is because I know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. And I'm here to tell you. I look at all of our leaders, and God bless them, I love them, I would not want their job, but I'm here to tell you, I don't necessarily know if any of them know what they're doing. Amen? And I'm here to tell you, but I know the one who has it all in his hands. I'm here to tell you, if, if going through all this we're going through today has not increased your faith and increased your trust, then I'm here to tell you. Now, that's God going to talk to us. we got a metal roof, amen, and you get to hear when God is talking to you, all right? But I know, because my wife is probably the most ADHD person in here, amen, so I know how to deal with ADHD people, all right? Because I know the minute that started, I saw all of your heads go like this and your eyes dart over. I had your attention right up until that point. So I'm going to tell you today, zone it out, all right? Zone it out. Right here, this is me and you today, Julie, amen. <laughs> I know how to, so if I get, if I keep, I, the thing about it is when I'm preaching, I know if I've got her attention, then I probably got everybody else's attention. Amen. So, uh, he is the supreme authority over every other kingdom in this world. The entire universe is in the hands of King Jesus. The Jews expected that their king would be born in a palace surrounded by wealth and luxury and comfort. He was not, was he? And this is part of why. You remember the scripture that talks about the Jews and it says that his own received him not. And then it goes on and says that he became a stumbling block. The cornerstone, King Jesus, became a stumbling block 
to his own people because they would not accept him. They would not accept him. Now, I'm here to tell you today, if you ever think, well, you know, being a Christian is hard. People make fun of me, and people have rejected me, and people want to, uh, to uh, you know, just uh, uh, bully me, and what, whatever you've gone through. Listen, it is nothing compared to what the Lord Jesus Christ went through, what his followers and his disciples went through in the early church. Nothing we face today even comes close or compares. Even people in other countries right now. There are people in other countries who, if they proclaim the name of Christ on their life, they literally have to be willing to give up their job, their livelihood, their families, maybe even their life. All right? And so you and I, we don't even really know what persecution is. But Jesus says that I'm in control and I am the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, I said this in Sunday school this morning, and I will believe it's true, and I hope you believe it's true. There's only two ways you can go with Jesus. Either Jesus was exactly who he said he was, or he was a complete and total nutcase. And you have to decide what you believe. Because only a nutcase, if it wasn't true, would go around saying, I'm the Son of God, uh, I'm, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can get to the Father except through me. And so these are things a crazy person might say. And so people had to decide, is this man a totally raving lunatic? Or is he really who he says he was? That's why the name of Jesus becomes a line in the sand. I challenged our Sunday school class to do this, and I'll challenge you to do this. Go to work tomorrow, go to the break room or the water cooler or wherever it is people congregate, and just start talking about how good God is. Just start talking about how good God is, and man, I love Christmas, and God is so good, and he's done this, he's done that, and everybody will stay in the room. They'll all stay right there with you. Because here's what God said about Jesus. He said, I have set his name even above my name. Amen. At that name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And he said that even the demons will tremble and flee. So here's what I challenge you to do. When you go to work tomorrow, go to the break room, start off talking about how good God is. See if anybody leaves the room. Probably nobody will leave the room. But then somewhere in the middle of the conversation, start sliding Jesus in there. Just start sliding Jesus in there. And all of a sudden, where everybody was very comfortable, they will begin to feel very uncomfortable. Because you can talk about God all day long, but that name Jesus, now that's, that's a little too, what does that tell you? That tells you he is the line in the sand. When you begin to say the name, just the very name Jesus, it makes people uncomfortable. Why? Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, there is another spirit in control of you. And when I come in and I start saying the name of Jesus, if you don't have the Holy Spirit and that other spirit, it will begin to become very uncomfortable in that room. And so you go in that room and you start talking about how good God is and see if nobody leaves the room. And then when you just start sliding Jesus in there, see how uncomfortable it makes everybody. Are you brave enough? Are we bold enough? He tells us. Don't be ashamed of me. If you're ashamed of me in front of men, then maybe I'll be ashamed in front of you in front of my father. Amen? But Jesus, the very name, creates fear in the devil and his demons. Amen? The Bible says that when the name Jesus comes out, that they have to flee. This is why, do you think the, uh, the apostles and the disciples had power to cast out demons? They did not in their own power. But the minute that those apostles, those disciples came into those places where demons were, uh, were uh, influencing people and uh, were possessing people, 
They had the power because they said, I command you to come out in what name? In what name? There is power in the name of Jesus. It is anointed. It is powerful. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm here to proclaim to you today, Christmas does not need to be about a little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus. Amen? Uh, to so eloquently quote a movie. Amen? Uh, it is not about an eight-pound, six-ounce little baby Jesus. It is not about a stable. It is not about being born in a manger. It is not about how lowly and humble he came. It is about the King of kings and the Lord of lords showing up. Emmanuel. Do you know that was the name that they called out? What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. In other words, God with us right here in the flesh, in this manger right here. King of kings, Lord of lords. And everybody might look at it and go, well, that don't look like the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Listen, I'm here to tell you God shows up in the most unlikely places in your life. I'm here to tell you God shows up when you don't expect him to. God shows up and the power of God shows up not because you want him to. It's because God wants to. Amen? Amen. And so you've got to understand he does what he wants. The Jews expected their king to be born in a palace. Um, no one expected the king to be born in poverty, in a cave, with a bunch of farm animals. Can you imagine the smell? Anybody here uh, keep horses or animals? I know Brother Martin does, amen? What's it smell like in there where they sleep and where they eat, amen? Wonderful, wonderful amen. It's a wonderful smell to those who love it, amen? Uh, but you know what it smells like, amen? And this is where our king our Savior was born, all right? He was born in lowly, you couldn't, you couldn't even get more lowly circumstances, all right? Um, they didn't expect uh, that this was where the Savior would be born, where the Messiah would be born, where the King would be born. And worse than that, they find out this guy was born in Nazareth. You know what Nazareth was? Now, I don't want to compare it to any town around here because Nazareth was known as the loser city. All right, so I don't want to offend anybody here today, amen? Uh, but Nazareth was known as, that's where losers come from. Nothing, in fact, they even said it, they said, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Now, why would God see to it that the King of kings and the Lord of lords would be born in the lowliest of circumstances and would be born where losers come from? Because he is a savior to losers. He's a savior to the downtrodden, Amen. He is a savior to those of us who can't save ourselves. He is a savior to us who needs someone to redeem us from our sins. Amen? Mm. They never imagined he would choose the guys he chose. You remember who he chose? Uneducated fishermen, despised tax collectors, rebellious Troublemakers. Anybody identify with that? Mm -hmm. Listen, he chose the most unlikely guys. And do you know where he went to? Now, you don't know this unless you've been to the Holy Land. Julie and I got to go uh, about a year and a half ago. And a lot begins to make sense when you actually are there and can put your eyes on it. But you go, we started in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is only about five miles from Jerusalem. Now, these wise men, you remember these three wise men? They traveled many, many miles to find the Savior. The angel had appeared to them and said, 
unto you this day is going to be born in the city of David, uh, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And so these three kings, and it was probably more than three, we, we kind of have made it into a song about uh, the three wise men, but really it was probably more than that. But they traveled a great, great distance. His own people, the Jewish leaders, do you know how far Jerusalem is away from Bethlehem? Five miles. His own people received him not. Didn't even want to recognize him. That can't possibly be the Messiah. Five miles. Five miles. Wouldn't go. So, in Jerusalem, it was the Jewish capital of the world. Jesus saw before he reached 30 years of age and started his ministry, he saw, my own people aren't going to accept me. I can't begin my ministry right here in the center of my own people because my own people hate me and they want to kill me and destroy me. They'd already tried. So at 30 years of age, what does he do? He goes north and he goes to the very outskirts of the Holy Land and he goes to where most of the Jews won't go. They want to stay in Jerusalem. And so he goes to the Sea of Galilee and he goes to the area of the cities right around the Sea of Galilee and that's where he does three years of ministry. Why? Because his own people wouldn't wouldn't accept him, wouldn't receive him. He knew he'd be dead. He'd be dead sooner than he needed to be dead if he stayed in Jerusalem. So he had to go north. And this is why he ends up doing his ministry around that Sea of Galilee. Because that's where all the Gentiles were and the lowly people, the people the Jews thought were not worth saving. They're not worth anything. And Jesus said, my own have rejected me. I've come for the sick. I'm going to go to where the sick people are. Aren't you glad he did? Um, they never imagined that the king of the Jews would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. You know what the picture of the Messiah is to Jews? Riding in on a white horse, totally in full armor, swinging a mighty sword. That's what the Jews saw. When they saw their Messiah riding into Jerusalem, that's what they saw. And then here comes this little meek man, meek and humble and lowly, followed by a bunch of uneducated people, regular old sinners, riding in on a donkey. That was not their idea of the Messiah. No one would expect a king to stand trial for crimes that he didn't commit. No one would expect an innocent king to be stripped naked in front of the people. Nobody would expect an innocent king to hang on a cross like a criminal and a slave. Why did Jesus get crucified on a cross when that was only reserved for the absolute worst criminals? You pretty much had to commit murder to be hung on a cross because it was the most gruesome way of dying. It was the cruelest way that the Romans had come up with to kill somebody. And here's an innocent man. They string him up, and he suffers, and he dies. Then no one would believe that royalty would be buried in a borrowed cave. He didn't even have his own tomb. He had to borrow a tomb. They had to borrow a tomb to put his body in. Nobody would believe that three days later the stone would be rolled away. Nobody would believe that the, on the third day the tomb would be empty, that Jesus was risen, and that the king would be alive, and that he sits on the throne today. All from this little baby, born in the most humble of circumstances. And still today, 
not everyone, but as a general rule, the Jewish nation, his own people, will not accept him as Messiah. Many Jews, if you are an Orthodox Jew, you're not allowed to even read the New Testament. The New Testament is not considered the Bible. It's only the Old Testament. And they do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. The cornerstone has become the stumbling block that the people rejected. So guess what? Still today, my question to you is this. What is your response to Jesus as king? Now here at Christmas, we're all going to do a lot of talking about Jesus. But guess what? Talk is cheap. How do we live our lives? Amen? What is your response to Jesus as king? We're going to look at three different people, the way that they responded to Jesus as king. And we're all going to fall in one of those categories. All right? The first person we're going to look at is Herod. You remember what Herod did? The, the wise men passed through, and they wanted to know where this baby was. And this was the first Herod had heard about it. Herod was a terrible king. He was extremely jealous. And they said, we're looking for the king of the Jews. We're looking for the Messiah. And Herod, immediately, jealousy rises up in him. He says, nobody's in charge around here except Herod. So what does Herod do? Herod says, I want you to go, and I want you to kill every male child under the age of two years old. Slaughter. Mass murder. But he was the king. He could do whatever he wanted to do. So Herod opposed Jesus as king. The execution in the boys of Bethlehem, all under two years' age. This is pretty much, if you're in this category, it's the people who say this. Yeah, I've heard about Jesus. I know about Jesus. Listen, we're in East Texas. Everybody knows about Jesus. I've said this to you many times. I think it's harder to witness to people in deep East Texas, deep Bible Belt, than it is up, way up north. Why? Because up north, people go, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm going to bust hell wide open. Yeah. Down here, it's, well, I'm okay. I call it good old boy religion. Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, I don't go to church, but, you know, my daddy, he was really active in church. Well, good for your daddy. Amen. My grandpa, he was a deacon down at the First Baptist Church of Podunk. Amen. Well, good for him. Amen. We will not go in on anybody's coattails. Amen. The Lord does not have grandchildren. He only has children. Amen. I stole that from somebody. That's pretty good. Amen. That is really, really good. There are no grandchildren. You don't get in on somebody else's deal. When you stand before the Lord, he will say, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my son? So these are the people who may say, well, I'm, I'm a good old boy. Me and Jesus, we got an understanding. Yeah, you sure do. Amen. It just ain't going to turn out like you think it's going to turn out. Amen. These are the people who say, yeah, I know about Jesus. And yeah, he's, he's good. I don't need religion. I don't need to go to church. You've been told that? Not less than about a thousand times. Um, I'm fine on my own. I don't need anybody. I don't need a God. I do just fine on my own. Do you know how much money I made last year? Well, whoop de doo Amen. You can't take it with you. There will be no checkbooks in heaven. And none of that will matter. It doesn't matter how nice your house is, how nice your car is, and how much money you put in the bank last year. Once we go, it's all over. Amen. These are the people who say, 
I don't want nobody telling me what to do. I don't want anybody to control my life. I don't need a God. I know there's a Jesus. Yeah, I believe he was a real guy. But we got an understanding. He does his thing, minds his business. I do my thing. And he better mind his own business. You are opposing the king. Whether you want to admit it or not, you can say whatever you want to say. But what does your life say? All three of these, it's not what your mouth says. What does your life say? Are you saying by the way you live your life, I don't need you? Jesus, I don't need you. I'll do, I'll do the Christmas thing and I'll sing the Christmas carols, but uh-uh, you ain't controlling my life. I don't need you. And if that's the way you're living your life, if that's what your life says, you are opposing Jesus as king. The number two set of people we're going to look at, the Jewish priests. Now, you remember what I told you? How far away was Jerusalem from Bethlehem? Five miles. Just a good little brisk walk. The Jewish priests dismissed Jesus as king. They were very religious. Do we have some religious people in deep east Texas? Oh, yeah. We got a lot of very religious people. We got a lot of very self-righteous people. We have a lot of very legalistic people. Amen? But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how good you look on the outside. You can still dismiss Jesus. Uh, They quoted the Jewish priests themselves quoted scripture, Micah 5, 2, that prophesied that a ruler from Bethlehem would be born. They weren't even listening to their own prophecy. It was in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It said he will be born in Bethlehem. And they knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. So they knew it. They knew it was the right spot. But they said, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, no. We need a warrior. We need a warrior king. We ain't accepting that. And so they rejected and they dismissed Jesus as the king. All right? They did not bother to leave their home and walk five miles or ride a donkey or a camel or a horse five miles down the road to worship the king of kings and lord of lords. They simply dismissed him. Now, let's look at this. Well, Brother Mark, I don't don't dismiss him. I mean, I don't go to church, but... I don't dismiss him. Let me take that back. I do go to church Christmas and Easter. Amen. CEO Christians. Christmas and Easter only. Amen. You know, but I, you know, that I, I love the Lord and I, I know, I know Jesus and, you know, but I, I don't really feel the need to go to church. There's so much other stuff to do on the weekend. I got to play catch up and. Uh, you know, there's all the things to do. I can go to the lake. I can go fishing. I can go hunting. I can do all these other things on Sunday. And I'm here to tell you, how do you live your life? I know what your mouth says. I hear all of you talk. But it's not what your mouth says. What does your life say? Are you dismissing Jesus as king? Simply by saying, you know what, God? I, I love you. And here's, here's where you, if you fit into number two. On Sunday... Jesus, I'll give you your due. I'll, I'll really sacrifice, and I'll come down there for an hour on Sunday. There's a lot of other things I could be doing, Lord, but you must know I really, really love you. I'm going to really, really sacrifice. Now, not every week. That'd be a little fanatical. All right? Not every Sunday, but I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to show up one Sunday a month. Did you know that's what's considered regular by most church people these days? That's sad, isn't it? That's where we've gotten. 
I, I'm going I'm to come one Sunday a month. I'm going to really, really sacrifice. I'm going to come down there for a whole hour. For a whole hour. Brother Mark gets long-winded. It's going to be an hour and 15 minutes. Amen. I hope he don't do that. Especially not today. All right. But here's the thing. You've got to understand. The Lord is not impressed by you giving up your hour to come down here. The Lord wants to know, does he have a place in your life Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? It's real easy to come in here and act all spiritual and holy and like you got it all together on Sunday. That is not the test of your Christianity. It is what are you doing Monday through Saturday? What does your life say? I heard somebody say this one time, and I believe it's true, and it's going to step on your toes because it steps on my toes. If you want to know what really matters and rules in your life, get your calendar out and get your checkbook out. Those, these young people don't even know what a checkbook is. Look, look on your account uh, on your phone and see where your money goes. Where does your time go? Where does your money go? Where does your effort go? And these will show you the things that are priorities. I know what we say. That don't mean nothing. What do we do? And then the third one, where we should all aspire to be, the wise men. The wise men sacrificed, did whatever it took, and they came and they bowed to Jesus as king. It was the highest form of worship. I know a lot of us, back at the, uh, the domes, y'all remember when the pews were first put in and Brother Mike put the kneelers? on there and I thought what kind of Baptist church have I got into with kneelers amen uh, that's what you see down at the Catholic church amen but brother Mike believed in bowing the knee amen and I'm afraid we've lost some of that amen even when I ask you to do it it's like I really got to beg you to do it all right everybody we want to give honor we want to really pray and we want to really give honor I'm going to ask everybody to get on their knee and it's like you're asking people to lop off the right ear amen just get down on a knee because what does that show? It shows humility and it shows that I am bowing down to you. Amen. You remember, you've seen the movies where they approach the king and they are not allowed to approach the king and stand. They have to go down and they are supposed to not look at the king. All right. Royalty. A king. He is worthy of our praise. Bowing low is the ultimate posture of surrender, submission, and reverence all right so here's what i want you to know today don't just know about him give your life to him i know everybody in here knows about him but that does not mean he controls your life that does not mean that you have given him the keys have you given him the keys and have you gotten out of the driver's seat and have you said lord i'm just going to make a mess of this so, Lord, I'm going to move to the passenger seat, and, Lord, I want you to be in control. The word Lord, there's not a mistake to the word Lord. The word Lord means complete and total submission. I am your slave. You tell me what to do, and I do it, no questions asked. Is he the Lord of your life? All right? I want to tell you this. Julie, you can go ahead and come and just give me a, a G chord. We're going to sing. At the end of this, oh, come let us adore him. If you would, indulge me. And I heard this. This is on YouTube. I don't, can't remember the preacher's name, but he, 
he gives this soliloquy, if you would. Will you give your life to Jesus? For he is the king of glory. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of ages. He is the king of kings. Jesus is the king. He's the king who heals the sick. He's the king who opens the blind eyes. He's the king who heals all of our diseases. He's the king who strengthens the weak, who delivers the captives from captivity. He's the king who restores the broken. He is our king who is a shelter in a time of trouble. He is the prince of peace, the lamb of God, the alpha and omega. He is the resurrection of life. His goodness is indescribable. His power is incomprehensible. His grace is irresistible. At his name, darkness trembles. In his presence, demons flee. Though the devil hated him, he could not stop him. Though the devil hated him, death could not defeat him. Though the devil hated him, the grave could not hold him. Jesus is my king. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's give him a a clap offering. Father, you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Sing this with me. Oh, come let us adore him oh come let us adore him oh come let us adore him christ the lord we'll give him all the glory we'll give him all the glory We'll give him all the glory. We'll give him all the glory. Cry the Lord. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you would say, Mark, I'm not in the right spot with Jesus. I know about him, but I don't really know him like I need to know him. I'm not really living for him like I need to live for him. I'm not really submitting my life like I need to submit my life to him. Mark, I just need to come back to the Lord. If that's you today, would you just pray this prayer in your heart, mind, and spirit? Just say, Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. Lord, I admit that I need you. Lord, right now, I want to make you the Lord of my life. I want to do do more than just know about you. Lord, I want you to be in control of my life. I want every decision I make to go through you. I want every action of my body, word of my mouth, to go through you, Lord. May you be in control of my life. I believe you died on that cross to redeem me from my sins. And right now, the best way I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Every head bowed, every eye still closed. I don't want to embarrass anyone. 
But if you prayed that prayer today for the first time, the second time, the hundredth time, recommitting yourself, whatever, would you just lift up a hand? Amen. Amen. Anyone? All right, according to that testimony, we all are believers in here, totally sold out, totally dedicated with our lives given to the Lord. How many of you would say, Brother Mark, especially at this time of year, Lord, I need to concentrate on you. I need to concentrate on you. There's so much going on in this world. And Lord, I need to trust you more. And I need to spread the good news of the gospel this Christmas season. I need it to be about Jesus. Would you pray for me to do that? Would you just lift up a hand? Thank you. Lord, you see these hands. You see these commitments. Father God, we want to honor you. We want to glorify you. We want our lives to point people towards the cross. Even though Christmas is about the manger, you can't have the cross without the manger, Lord. The baby had to be born before it could go to the cross. And so, Lord, I pray that we point people towards the cross today in all this Christmas season. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.